when the angel came because God sent him. Everybody's going to be fine. Now, as the story unfolds, there were some, there were some soldiers on the ship um, uh, in verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had to let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. You know what's happening? There are some soldiers on the boat who are saying, Ah, we better, we better take the uh, lifeboat ourselves and uh, save our own skin. Well, it comes to Paul's attention that these guys are trying to pull a fast one. And he says, look at verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. There it is. Here's the point. Paul has been told that the ends are secure. But some men are trying to, uh, you know, kind of get, get away from the storm. And so they get the little lifeboat and Paul looks at them and says, Hey, buddy, uh, Captain uh, Barkley, you better tell them if they don't get back on this boat, they're going to die. Now, wait a minute. What about the ends? All life will be saved. Do you see that? Uh, The point is, folks, all of the lives are going to be saved. God has ordained the ends, but He has also ordained the means to the ends. And the means are, stay on that boat. And you get off of it, you're going to die. Because if you do not observe the means to the ends, the ends are not secure. You see it? You know what, guys? I can look at you and I can say, if you don't pray, people are not going to come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh, you can't say that, Jimmy. Paul did. Because what is the means by which God brings people to saving faith? It is through the faithful efforts of evangelists like you. Not only has he ordained the ends... He has ordained the means to the ends. This is the secondary cause. It's In philosophy, it's called the necessity of secondary causes. This is the secondary cause, prayer. And prayer, not only has He ordained this, He's ordained this, and this is the means to that. So you say, well, if He already knows about, uh, you know, what I need, why do I need to pray? Because He's ordained the means. He's ordained the means to the end. And what is the means to, or one of the means to the end? That you pray. It's the necessity of secondary causes. And gang, a failure to observe the secondary causes makes tenuous the ends. That's exactly what Paul told those people on the boat. Oh, he says, all life is going to be saved because God told me. But if you get off the boat, you're going to die. If you don't observe the means to the end, you're going to die. The, the ends are not secure. You see that? Prayer's like that. It's a secondary cause. And so, why do you pray? Because you're commanded to. Because you're taught to. Because there's all kinds of other prayers than just asking for your needs to be met. And because a part of the machinery by which God produces His will is through you people praying. So Pray. And they'll never ask the question again. <laughs> just, just get to it and we'll... I mean, if that doesn't satisfy all of your questions, okay. Then at least we know that we've got to obey and we've got some instructions as to how to do it and let's get with it and we know it's safe. Okay, that should be enough. All right, that's one issue. Here's the other... Here's a, here's a second issue. 
Um, what about the prayer of unbelievers? Does God hear the prayer of unbelievers? I don't know whether y'all were around, um, oh, I don't know, gosh, it was 10 years ago now, but the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Convention was a guy by the name of Bailey Smith. And Bailey's a good guy. He was a, he's a, a senior pastor at uh, First Baptist in Orlando. And that's, that, I guess it was longer than that. Maybe it was 20 years ago that he did this. But he, he somehow got in the news as saying that God does not hear the prayers of the Jews. And I'm telling you, that poor brother was raked absolutely over the coals for making that statement in, uh, in, a, in a, the public setting. Now, uh, Bailey, I think you're pretty stupid to have said that in public. But he's right. Guys, uh, turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Um, Verse 31. Um, Now we know that God does not hear sinners. Now this is in the context of a a, a dialogue with Jesus. And this statement is made, it is never overturned, it is never um, uh, denied as being true. Gang, nowhere in the Bible, and particularly our text, that is Romans chapter 8, nowhere in the Bible is it ever said that the Spirit intercedes for unbelievers. If you'll notice in our text, it says that that great work of intercession on the part of the Holy Spirit is confined to the saints. (laughs) Uh, He makes intercession... For the saints. Gang, if you, if you want another um, piece of argument, um, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Because you can never forget the answer um, to this question. The question is, how does any man gain entrance into the presence of God? You're given that answer in Hebrews 10. How does any man gain entrance into the presence. You want to see it? Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19, excuse me, 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. (laughs) How is it that any man gains entrance into the presence of God? It is through the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so the answer to the question is pretty simple. Does God hear the prayer of unbeliever? Guys, if you want to, if you want, if you're asking, does God have the ability to hear everything that issues forth from the vocal cords of people? Of course He does. But does God engage uh, in the prayer of an unbeliever like He does in the prayer of a believer? The answer is categorically, simply, no, He doesn't. Now, here's my third issue: um, how to pray. Now, guys, I'm not going to insult you because most of you have already heard the little acrostic um, uh, ACTS. If you haven't, uh, that, I mean, I would think most of you had already heard this one before. But if you want to organize your prayer life around this, that would be very good. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Uh, I always love to tell this story. Uh, This is just somewhat of an aside, but when, when I was pastoring in Florida... Uh, we had this, uh, two times a year, we'd have this week of prayer at, uh, I think it was 5 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock. It was the 6 o'clock in the morning. We had an hour prayer from 6 to 7 in the morning for, you know, uh, a week. And uh, we would divide the week up, the, the uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, over these four letters. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and Friday. Uh, 
because everybody knows that supplication, people got plenty of that stuff. I mean, they all got the grocery shopping list that they want to bring. And, but uh, these, are, these three, uh, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I, I know I've told you this before, but guess one which was the most silent, the most, the, I mean, the one that there were long periods of just abject silence was over what day? It wasn't Tuesday. I mean, people love to confess their sin. Really, they did. I love to confess my sin. What do you want to know? <laughs> um, I, I have sleep difficulties. Have I ever told you that? I, that's that's, that's my, my biggest, darkest skeleton in the closet. Um, no, 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 no. The, the most silent of all days was Monday. Adoration. Adoration. I'll tell you what. Tomorrow, take an hour and spend it in nothing but adoration. Right. Where would you start? What would you start with? Well, uh, be that as it may, th- this is a little acrostic that's been he- very helpful for people over the years. But let me give you some five quick instructions about prayer, and then I'm, I'm well. I got one other quick thing I need to do. How to pray? First of all, start with the realization of who and who God is, and what you are. <laughs> that is. Um, Start with the realization of who and what God is. Guys, everybody who prays in the Scriptures always starts like that. Starting with the Lord's Prayer, it always begins, how does it go? Our Father who art in heaven. You go to Acts chapter 4 and, and Paul and, I mean, uh, Peter and uh, John had just been released from prison. And they gather over at Rhoda's house or whoever's house they were at, you know, and, and uh, they start... I mean, they don't even know what to ask for concerning the Roman government. And so they start with this, this address to God. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth, oh God, it is all yours. Start like that. Start with something that recognizes who God is. I mean, the, the, guys, I've got a book um, in my office. Um, oh, what is the name of that book? By John White... Um, and it's just a study of the prayers of, that are contained in the Bible. And there's a bunch of them. Go do something like that. Go to, John, go to Daniel 9 and go read um, Daniel's prayer and watch how he starts. All biblical prayers always start the same way. They start with God. They don't start with their needs. They don't start with confession. They start in adoration. They start with an ascription as to who God is. Then start that way. Secondly... Gang, requests for spiritual things are always right. For instance, um, more love to Christ. It's always good to pray that. Uh, a greater knowledge of His, of His redeeming love. It's always right to pray that. Um, it's always right to pray um, that people be one to Christ. It's always right to pray for non-Christians to embrace the Savior. It's always right. Now, there are some things that are not always right to pray for. And, and, you know, some of you prayed them. You know, I'm sure glad that God didn't give me some of my prayers because I wouldn't be married to her. And very frankly, I got a much better deal in, in Susie Betzelberger than I would have prayed for, you know. Um, it, there are th- things that, we, that, are, that are inappropriate to pray, but it's never wrong to pray for more love to Jesus. Never. Pray it all the time. Anything that is... Is of spiritual quality, it's always good to pray. Third, it's always right to plead the promises of God. 
go, to, go take some of his promises and, and, and repeat them in his face. God, you promised. Yada, 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 yada. It's always right. What, what father doesn't like his children to tell him of some of the great instructions that he has given? Our little ones came, come and say, Daddy, you know, the other day you said this to me, and isn't that sweet to hear? We'll go. I tell you what, guys, um, if, if you need further clarification, pray the Psalms. Start in Psalm 1 and pray it. You, you, you kneel with your eyes wide open and you take Psalm 1 and in a posture of thinking who God is and what, he, what, he, what delights Him, pray Psalm 1 to Him. Pray all 150 of them. Pray the Psalms. That, that's a wonderful exercise, guys. Um, it's, it's always right to pray about spiritual things. It's always right to pray His promises. Fourth, um, I, I want to just caution you to be very careful to exercise uh, uh, an extraordinary amount of care uh, concerning purely personal requests. Um, and, and let me tell you why I say that. Uh, this is a statement um, that, that I know, remember Bob and Joanne would love this statement. It's out of um, Psalm 106. It's in verse 15, and the psalmist says, He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Oh, God, I've got to have this. I've got to have this. I've got to get this. So he gives it and then sends leanness into the soul. Be very careful. Um, Where God's will is not clearly known by you, exercise great care and caution in how you pray and what you pray for. Um... Surely, surely those things are not that important to us. But when they are, God, in the case of Israel, said, All right, you want this? Here. And then attached to it was a wasting disease to their soul. Um, That's fourth. Fifth, never demand anything from God. You know, this this is how the evangelical world prays. They say, Okay, God, I got this problem. Now, um, as I see it, uh, you got three options. You can do this. I, you know, God, I got a financial problem. As I see it, you can um, you can get me a raise, or um, you could uh, I could get an inheritance, or um, my wife could get a job. Now, you work on those three things, and when you get it, none of those work, you come back and I'll give you some more. <laughs> Guys, never do we demand things. Not even revival. We must always leave room in our prayer lives for God to be God. Never put yourself in the position of thinking that if, 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 we, if I just do this, then this will happen. I'm telling you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is always unpredictable and He's full of surprises. Put yourself in the posture of yieldedness and submission and then lay your requests before Him with thanksgiving. But never demand. 
We have no rights to demand, guys. The only things that we can pray with confidence are things that we know to be His revealed will. Now, that leads me to the final thing, and I've got three minutes, to, and I, I had this wonderful story I wanted to tell you, but we don't have time. Um, there is an issue that seems to come up much these days because, really, of the Neo-Pentecostal movement. It is the prayer of faith that is mentioned in James chapter 5. Um, maybe you've heard of that. It's in verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. That, that thing, that prayer of faith, causes a great deal of consternation in the evangelical world. Because I, I, I am of the opinion that it is somewhat abused. Um, what it's presented as is some way of trying to screw up your courage so that you can say, I believe it! And, uh, and it, then it just gets morphed into this thing where you're, uh, I believe the Word of God and, and therefore um, it, it's going to be true. Um, I was on the phone today with um, um, a dear man, and I'm hoping he, you're going to meet him. In fact, it seems like some of you have met him. He is fabulously wealthy, and he's used his money in the most wonderful way. I've, I've never seen as many benevolent agencies created by one man, a layman, as this guy. His name's John Leininger, and um, his, uh, his, his brother was a urologist. And he invented the hospital bed called Rotorest. Does anybody know Rotorest? When you're a long-term patient, they put you in this bed called Rotorest, and it goes like this. I'm not, not that fast. <laughs> so that you won't get bed sores, you know. Well, um, anyway, uh, that's John's brother, and he had, the, he had the Florida franchise. And his brother came to him and said, um, um, okay, I need the Florida franchise back. And so his brother, he said, name your price. And so John named the price, and oh, my. <laughs> it was a whole lot of millions. But anyway, John has used that money in ways that I'm telling you, you know, I wish, I wish we'd use our money that way. I, you know, I was with the Browns a week ago, and I was in this hospital in Nashville called Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt. And uh, that hospital is a year old, a year old, a year old. And it's already the seventh best children's hospital or ranked the seventh best children's hospital in the United States, something like that. That's what they were telling me. It was started by one man. He's still alive. He gave $25 million dollars. To get that hospital up. I tell you what, why don't we use our money like that? Let's stop buying more things and let's go use our money to build a children's hospital. What do you say? What do you say? That'd be good. The largest pregnancy advocacy uh, uh, anti abortion uh, agency in the entire state of Florida was started by John uh, Liner. That's, I mean, that's, isn't that a wonderful way to, anyway, I was talking to John today and he was telling about a mutual friend of ours and the little girl had, she's like 24. And she's got some real serious cancer, and uh, uh, she's dying. And um, one of her sisters, they, she's, she comes from a family of eight, and um, one of the children is convinced. I mean, you know, she's just she's off everything, and she's very it's just ugly. And they, the, the mother and daddy won't even let people in to see the little girl because it's just so ravaged her. And, and but one of the siblings uh, is convinced. That, um, that she's going to be healed because she prayed the prayer of faith. I, guys, I want to tell you that, that the prayer of faith is anything but that. It is not you screwing up your courage to believe something. It's almost the direct opposite of that. 
a prayer of faith is something that you don't screw up. It's God. I mean, the, the point of origin is not you, it's heaven. There are times, and, and they're occasional. It doesn't, it's not a very common experience. But there are times when God gives you something that you're absolutely convinced that there is a, there's a degree of certainty, not a degree, uh, absolute certainty that, it's, that He's going to answer this prayer. That's the prayer of faith. And guys, that happens in our experiences from time to time. Not, not regularly, not often, not frequently, but it happens. And the reason that it, you have such confidence is that God originated that um, request in your heart. He's burdened you with that thing um, because He's going to bring it to pass. And when He does, it's going to change you. I was going to tell you this long story about a little house on the prairie episode. The best illustration of the prayer of faith I've ever seen was a little house on the prairie episode when Charles Ingalls, um, everybody was telling him someone's going to die, and he said no. It was just a great story, and I'd love for you to see I think we've got it on tape. I think it's at the house. It was just, it, but that's what, that's what a prayer of faith is, and it's not to be used as some kind of instrument by which we, um, we um, believe it and receive it and that kind of thing. That is a, that is a very cruel um, I think, misrepresentation of James chapter 5, verse 15. Those are four of the issues. I'm sure there's numerous others. I hope that was helpful in, uh, in terms of making us into a praying people. Guys, we, um, uh, we, I tell you every Sunday morning, I'm not sure you believe us, but uh, we, are a, we believe that prayer changes things. Does prayer change God? Nope. But does prayer change things? Yep. And we, uh, we entreat you to pray alongside us. Uh, one of the things we're going to do, just real quick, and I'll, I'll shut up, but uh, we're going to stick an insert in your bulletin before every one of these missions, con- missions trips this week, and we're going to give you the names of every person on the Guatemala trip and on the Czech Republic trip and, and a prayer request out to the side of every person that's over there in their prayer request. Pray for them. Let's see what God will do. Let's go. Lord, I do pray that you will make us into people who are far more confident, far more regular, far more committed, far more devoted to this thing that confuses us, known as prayer. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that we will watch you intersect with us individually and corporately as we commit ourselves to call out to you, laying hold of you in, in, a, in a wrestling kind of way, never to let go of you until we have prayed through to the proper conclusion, a conclusion that you have granted. Now, Father, um, raise up among us men and women who are so convinced that the kingdom of God goes forward on her knees. Raise up those people here. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks and good night.